highlight that for a moment to let you guys understand that members of the church have a treasure. Now, this treasure is unlike any other treasure, but it has some things in common with other people who are, say they are treasure hunters. If I tell you, hey, I've got this map, we can go to this place, and if we follow the map, we'll find a treasure. It's been buried there for a thousand years, and you just got to trust me. Nobody's going to follow you to this place to go get this treasure. This is the environment that we find ourselves in. We have this treasure, and we're telling people about it, yet people are resisting, people are fighting, people are you know, not wanting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think this section of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is going to highlight what's going on, what the Christian should understand about this treasure, and how the world is going to react to this treasure. So when we understand that, we'll understand things a little bit better in our responsibility to the gospel and to this treasure. Now, I will say that we have the world fighting against us. Um, let me just say this lightly. Uh, and, and I don't want to say this in a way that would offend people or anything, but the Internet is your enemy, right? Uh, you, you spend too much time on different apps and social entities and all these things, and, and everybody wants a phone and crying for a phone. I'm going to tell you what, I grew up where there was no phones like that. And if you had a phone like that, it's because you were in Miami Vice, right? So when you have a phone, it, it just takes up too much of your time, too much of your energy, and this is how you know it's a problem. And I'm only saying this because this is the people, the generation that, that we're trying to teach the gospel to. They'll have time for, you know, the latest reality show, the latest documentaries on Netflix, the, the latest articles that are out there on, on whatever soap magazine on the internet that you're going to find it from. They have all these things. And don't forget that if there's something happening in the world today, they want you to go ahead and state your position. You better state it because then we don't know if you're our friend or not. This is the environment we live in and you know it's gone too far when you see children, and I say children, right, sometimes between the 11 and 13, and, and it just it blows my mind because I think about the church and I think about how I was raised and, and what we need to do and how the church needs to go forward and how we need to share this treasure it is extremely hard to share the treasure of Jesus Christ today, not because it's hard for us to speak, but because it's hard for the person to listen. This is how you know you've gone too far. Members of the church putting Facebook posts with videos of their children opening up a present only to break down in tears and crying. Oh, I can't believe it. And they're shaking. I'm like, what in the world is it? It's an iPhone. And remember the church? Oh, yeah, and this was my child when they got it. And my child when they got it. Did you know that those emotions of connection, of fellowship, that kind of bond is meant for Jesus? But our children and the community around us are so wrapped up in these things where they would cry hysterically at the receiving of an item that is just inanimate unless you touch it. And then that, that kind of blows my mind, but it sets the tone. This is the world 
that we're evangelizing to. And so when we think there, I want you to think about this as we start. You got to take responsibility of the treasure and walk the walk. You got to be a Christian. You got to walk the walk and talk the talk of Christianity before anything else. Look at verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, because that's what you have, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. Look what it says. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, condemning ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That means a couple things. That these Christians, because of the mercy they received, knew very well that they were to handle God's word with the utmost respect. And you're going to say what it says. You're going to speak, as Peter would say, as the oracles of God. If God doesn't say it, you don't say it. But look what's more interesting here as you're moving on. You're not going to walk in that craftiness, you know, misusing the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth. Now, the truth isn't going to manifest itself. You can put the Bible down in front of your friend and walk away. That's not evangelism. That Bible's not going to open up and say, hey, Sarah, listen, it's not going to do that. It doesn't manifest itself. It needs saints to preach the word of God or at least open it and tell them, read this and tell me what you think. So, but manifestation of the truth, condemning ourselves to uh, every, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Look where it says every man's conscience. That means you're talking to a lot of people about the mercy of God that you received by the manifestation of the preaching of the gospel, in this case by Paul. Now that burden is on us to give to others. Why do we, why do we take responsibility? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you would stop right there, you would have to go read the Bible to find out what that worthiness is. So the gospel of Christ has a standard, a standard to walk by, a standard to live by, and a standard to be able to be seen. You need to conduct yourself to be worthy in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, in other words, whether your parents are home or not, you're going to be acting the same way. If they raise you correctly, you leave, you're going to be making the right choices. He said, I may hear of your, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now that last section there means that this mercy that they receive by the manifestation of the gospel is a common manifestation that is able to be unified amongst believers in the same faith. All that means in, in, in easy terms is there is one standard of truth that everybody can agree on. And this is that gospel. And look how important it is for a Christian to walk the walk. First, first John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. 
So if we're walking in the light, that is walking in the teaching that we see in the New Testament to the best of our ability, with the zeal, with knowledge, and we're doing what we need to do, then essentially we're walking with Jesus. And we have that avenue of forgiveness. Now, think about the treasure. How much more treasure could any person want in life than to be able to be walking side by side with Jesus and having this this ability to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus no matter what? And how much more should we as Christians give that over to someone else? You know, I was was at uh, a postseason game. I love the Astros, right? And I, I promised myself not to talk about sports, but here we go. I love the Astros, and I go to tons and tons of games. And I went to a postseason game the year we won the World Series. And it was the first game where Altuve hit three home runs. And I thought about this because there was a guy standing in front of me. He's about six foot four, six foot five, bigger guy. And Altuve hits the first home run, and everybody's screaming, yelling. They're turning around, you know, high five, and it's a great game. The second home run Tuve hits. It's amazing. The crowd erupts, you know, popcorn's flying, there's liquids everywhere, people are screaming and yelling. The third home run, when he came up, I told the guy, be ready, he's going to hit another one. The guy goes, yeah, right, pow. There it went. Three home runs in one postseason game. Everybody's going nuts. I, I mean, it was so loud. Out of reaction and happiness, I jumped on the guy's back like I was eight years old. And I said, can you believe it, man? Yeah, we're going crazy. And he's like, yeah, man, I love it. And I love you. And that, you know what I thought about after that? Number one, how foolish. (laughs) I probably looked real stupid, but it was fun. But what I thought about the most is somewhere every year, There is a six foot four guy telling the story about a little Hispanic guy who jumped on his back. Do you can you imagine the impact if we could preach the gospel that way? That it would be that guy would be over there somewhere talking about the gospel. So it's a good memory for me, but it's also a regret for me. Because I wasn't able to really like even take the time. Hey, do you go to church somewhere? Where do you? That's our job. And we, we can't miss those opportunities. So that's why we have to take time to preach. Take time to preach. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. I can only hope that the guy who tells the story about me tells about how you know, strong I was. Because I always tell the story he was big, broad, strong guy, able to hold me. He probably says I was real small and scrawny. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 5. But even if if our gospel is veiled, so our gospel is because you have to take personal responsibility in the gift and the treasure that you've received. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So that means we've got to take time to preach the gospel that is in our possession whether or not people want to hear it. Look where their minds were. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. That would be modernization of things, things that occupy their mind. Some would even say that it's Satan's temptation and influence in their lifestyles, that they don't want to hear the gospel. 
But these people are having their, 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 their minds blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Jesus, God on earth, the gospel is a bright light. These people are living in darkness and they're blinded and you have the flashlight. You have the flashlight. And look what it's saying. That this gospel, this Christ, should shine on them, but they don't want it. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And so Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the grace, the mercy, everything that you're going to need. The Christian sits in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ with him. We've died with him. When we come out, we're no longer us. Now we are with Jesus, and the text we're going to see actually shows us carrying Jesus. Not that he couldn't walk by himself, but that this is where he has chosen to be with you as you are preaching and teaching the gospel. And so I, I'm heavily involved in evangelism and I have been in wars this last year of people who do not want to hear the gospel. I have been blackballed by a couple of um, atheist groups around Houston that are constantly bombarding me. And then I get to give these messages out to, to talk to them. And people are saying, how do, you, how do you put up with that? All these thousands of people are reading this. I don't care if I look dumb. I care that thousands of people are reading my response. If people don't want to hear, I don't care about that person if they don't want to hear it. But what about all the others who are reading? So we can't stop with one person. We've got to look at the bigger picture. Right? So here's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 16. Taking the time to preach. Why? So then, or see then, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Don't let your day and your time be wrapped up with all your scheduling. Some people have a schedule. They wake up. They have a protein smoothie. They go work out. They go to work. They take the kids to school. They do all these things. They come home. They, they cook food. They get their kids to do their homework. Then they come back down. They eat their food together. Then it's off to take a shower and get your teeth brushed. Do all these things. And then guess what? We can have five or ten minutes together. Maybe we can watch a show. Or maybe we can play a game. And then you go to bed. Right? This is, this is not a wise use of time that you have your children at home for the first 18 years of their life. Right? So we need to be changing our own habits because the days are evil. We need to be walking smart. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? I would like to take this out of the context of somebody standing behind a, a pulpit. Right? We're all preachers. We're all, uh, it, it, as the Greek would say, keruso. Right? We're all preaching the gospel. We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.8 the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's the deal. All are going to come to repentance who want to come to repentance 
because all the Christians that are supposed to be preaching the gospel are preaching the gospel and teaching their closest friends. It's very important that if we, were gonna, if we could talk to our friends and our co-workers about baseball, you can talk to them about Christianity. And that's just the, the fact of the matter. So we need to take the treasure to everyone, right? Everyone with no exception. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 6. Now here's the deal. When you're taking this treasure to the world, this great grace that we've received, when you want to tell people about that, you're not telling them in a way that, oh, you better obey the gospel or you're going to see the fire. (laughs) That's not what we're doing. The Bible says in, in the book of Romans that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. Sure, they need to know about everything else, but we need to be approaching it in a way where we're telling them the gospel as a matter of fact, the death, burial, resurrection, and then let them decide with their own free will what they want to do. You can't force somebody into Christianity, but it becomes a numbers game. It's like playing golf. Here I am with another sport. You keep going and you're horrible at it, but then you, you hit that perfect shot and you come back for three more months of agony before you hit another great shot and you're happy every time you hit that shot it's a numbers game you know unless you're really skilled but that's the way it is with uh, with taking that treasure to everyone second corinthians 4 5 through 6 for we do not preach ourselves but christ jesus the lord and ourselves your bond servants for jesus sake for it is the god who commanded light to shine out of darkness. So the Alpha and the Omega, God the Father, the Adonai, the real God is who we are working for, who has shown in our hearts. So just as God, I don't know if you're getting this imagery, just as God told the world, let there be light. That's how he put the light of Jesus Christ in your life with the acceptance of the gospel. Change his life. He's different now. Now he's covered with the blood of my son. So this is a a powerful thing that we hold in our hands. And so he said he's shown it in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look, Look up here on this screen. Do you see where it says here? To do what with our hearts? He's shown it in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. When you give somebody knowledge, you don't expect them to keep that knowledge to themselves. You expect them to go teach it. And that's why we see some of these commissions. What are we going to be doing? We went over this one earlier in the Devo. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 19. Jesus said to them, go into all the world, making disciples, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. So it's a command. And we know what we're supposed to teach. If it's not in the Bible, don't teach it. If it's not in the Bible, Christians, especially young Christians in here, don't believe it. If it's not in there, it's not in there. And you're well enough to say, well, if that's what you want to believe, that's fine, but I'm going to stick with the Bible. That's the way your Christianity needs to be lived out. And of course, we have 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. Do you see the text saying that they're preaching the gospel, giving the treasure 
to a willing, open crowd, somebody who's happy to see it, filling out arenas of 60,000 just to see this great preacher. Oh, he's perfect. He speaks a good game. He's got great homiletics. You should hear this guy. Though, when you start preaching truth, this is the reaction. To some people, you're a stumbling block. Oh, here he comes again. I've got neighbors that live around me. Hey, how's it going? I'm telling them because I'm trying to work my way over there again. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Right in the door. It happens all the time. When you start telling truth, this is what happens. But they also respect you. They also start to respect you. There's one neighbor that I have that um, they, they sell alcohol. That's what he does for a living. And, and I introduced myself to him. We've kind of moved in at the same time. I said, hey, what do you do? He's like, I sell booze. Do you need any? I said, no, no, I don't. He goes, uh, well, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. He goes, well, I guess you don't need the booze. But we've had great conversations, and, we, and now they have some parties on Friday night, Saturday night, and you can hear him saying, hey, keep it down. The preacher's got to wake up in the morning. <laughs> so at least you're gaining respect. You've got to be able to teach and preach to anyone, no matter what comes. Now look at this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this great treasure that we're talking about, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the earthen vessel. It is the individual Christians that are the earthen vessels. So in here we have all these people with the treasure. And out there we have tons of people who need to become treasure hunters. And we've got to teach them how to get to the treasure. But look what it says about our, our go at Christianity, our preaching and teaching. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. You think about that. Every one of us has friends who believe Christianity uh, outside of what the Bible teaches. Right? In, whether they're in denomination or a, a non-denomination, denomination, non-denomination. I mean, you just keep going. We just add stuff to it. They can keep pushing themselves wherever they want. But if we come to them and tell them, you shouldn't be doing this. Why? Because this is what the Bible teaches. This is what history records. And this is what they were doing in the first century. So that's why we need to do what the apostles said. Because that's the way the first church was. And that's what we want to be. You're the bad guy. We had a Bible study and um, one of the members of the church got everybody together from our neighbors. A lot of people from the neighborhood came. I was like, great. So we were supposed to be studying Genesis. And one lady asked a question. And so I answered her Bible question. Another one asked a question. So I answered that Bible question. And then another one. And 20 minutes later, here we are with questions and answers. An hour and a half goes by. And I'm feeling like, you know, they're just question, 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 question. I'm, here's where it says in the Bible, this is what we're doing. You know, half those people left shaking their heads. But one lady came back to me and had more conversations and more conversations and more conversations. And so it becomes a numbers game, but it's up to us to, to preach that. Why do we preach it, right? Why do we take the measure of the treasure into account? It's so powerful. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to, be, is to be chosen rather than silver. So we need the understanding. It's better than gold and silver. You've heard the old saying, knowledge is power. It's real. 
when you have the real knowledge, the right knowledge, it is power. Look at Acts 3, verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of, uh, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So, every one of you, when you were little, most people, it is very common for young children to be very ambitious and say, what I want to do in life, what I'm going to do is be a millionaire. And when I become a millionaire, I'm going to buy you your favorite car, Dad. And I make sure to tell them it's going to be a black Corvette with black interior, with black windows, with black rims, and it's going to say preacher on the license plate. All right. I make sure I'm going to tell them just in case they get there. But I also tell them that that's not the treasures that you're going to be looking for. That the treasures you're going to be looking for are going to last and you can take with you. It's worth more than all this and teaching them about the gospel and how the truth is what sanctifies us, what makes us happy. Um, you're never going to be happy buying things. right? And most people come to this conclusion uh, I was like that when I was 20. I, I wasn't a Christian at 20. I grew up in the church, but I didn't obey, obey the gospel. I even married a girl from the church, and I still hadn't obeyed the gospel. And I'm sure she was telling her mom, just give him time. And her mom was praying and praying and praying that I would become a preacher. And then now, years later, I'm like, thanks a lot. Because now I, I'm here battling every single day, and it gets tiring. But I know it's for a great cause. And when I was younger, I really, you know, what did I want? I wanted a Corvette. I told her I'm going to get a Corvette. You know, it's just going to happen in six months. And I, I went to the dealership and came home with a brand new Corvette at 20 years old. You know what she said? That's all of our money. How are we going to eat? I said, don't worry about that. We went out, got more stuff, kept buying stuff, but I never got happy. I never got happy. Selling stuff, buying hot rods, selling that, getting a different muscle car, selling that Corvette for a big 4x4 with diesel so I can blow black smoke, but buying everything in the world when that went out of the window, buying guns, going hunting, doing all, nothing makes me happy. And it's not going to make anybody happy. So you can have the pursuit for all the worldly things and when you teach that gospel, the gospel is what gives us peace, which makes us understand that you're leaving this world anyway. And the treasure that we have is worth way more than the newest vehicle, the best hunting gun, the best all these things, because all those things get old and they change anyway. And so you take the death, burial, and resurrection with you. This is going to be uh, very interesting here. It's an interesting concept. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. Always carrying about in the body. Now, Let's stop there for a moment. Always is referring to the Christians individually and the congregation at Corinth who are supposed to be giving the treasure to everyone by preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, coming into Christianity and denouncing all other things. So he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, the congregation as a body and the individual as a body. You are really a vessel for Jesus Christ. When you die with him in baptism and you come out, it's no longer you that lives. And so now, if you can imagine 
carrying someone on your back? Now imagine that it's Christ that's always with you. And every time you walk past somebody or you have, you're meeting somebody, you have these you know, conversations and areas and ways you're talking to somebody, you don't preach the gospel. Imagine if you would hear that whisper in your voice, hey, you going to mention me or what? That's our responsibility as Christians, that we carry the message of the Lord Jesus with us and we willingly give it. No matter what it takes, we always preach Christ and Him crucified. Always. Never wavering. I'm going to tell you, if you're worried about friends, um, i got just a little bit of time left. But this is something that I think we need to understand, especially since I see a couple younger people in here. Now, when, when I was raised, uh, I was raised in the church, and there was a bunch of kids there, and I kind of knew everybody. But when we went to high school, they never really hung out with each other, and we lost contact. And then you had a bunch of friends in high school, and friends in college, and friends in different places. And at the end of the day, here I am, 43 years old, and I don't contact anyone. And no one contacts me. All those friends, all those people, never contacted whatsoever. Some of them I've lost because I'm preaching and teaching the gospel. Others I've lost just because that's the way it is. But you know, when I go back to my hometown and I go to the congregation or I go to a home Bible study in my hometown, that those people who we ignored as young Christians are real friends. They stayed. It's because in the church, we're not worried about friends. Jesus didn't tell you, go make friends. He said, go make disciples. And disciples are your brothers and sisters. He said, go make family. And so we shouldn't be worried about offending somebody by teaching them the truth. Because at the end of the day, the chances of you actually uh, upholding that relationship with that individual is slim to none. But you will know people from the church until the day you die. And can count on them and can call on them. That's what the gospel does. It makes you family. But you got to take every opportunity. 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 12. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That means your physical body. You've got to do what it takes. You've got to carry your cross. You've got to preach and teach the gospel. So then death is working in us, but life in you. So if you die a martyr, this is in the case of the first century, listen to the mindset. I want you to listen to the warrior's mindset, the soldier's mindset for Christ. If I die, so be it. At least you keep on living and you now have life eternal and you're going to go tell other people and so on and so on so they can keep killing all of us. But the message of Jesus Christ is going to live on because every individual carries that message. And that becomes very, very powerful. And you think about all the Christians in the first century who lost families, who lost friends, who lost their lives. All the apostles, except for one, died a martyr. And we, in this age, are afraid to offend people by telling them something about Jesus Christ that comes from the truth or professing to them, yeah, yeah, if you're not 
in the body of Christ and you haven't put on Christ obeying the gospel, then no, you're not saved. You know, when we need to be able to do that. What's the worst they can do to you? Blackball you? If you have a business, what are they going to do? Google review you? Don't go to this business. He's a horrible person. He's a... That's what we've come to. And at the end of the day, we're not supposed to care. Paul says, hey, I'm happy with food and raiment. That's it. Because he knew what this treasure really meant. And if we can really uh, be convicted, and if we can really put on Christ, not just in the waters of baptism, but if you can really transform, you can change lives, and you can fight in the front lines with Jesus Christ, for Jesus, through thick and thin, dodging every arrow, and if one hits, so be it. Because your treasure was worth it. That's what we need to be putting out in the church of Christ. People who walk that line. Who teach the truth. Because that's what converts people. When they hear that truth. No matter the cost. So think about this. Before I go off on a rabbit hole. We were about to go on a rabbit hole. But I changed it. <laughs> so 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Look what it's supposed to do. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. That's your job. That's our job as Christians, to teach and preach. Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. Now, let, let me not intimidate y'all. Um, by teaching and preaching the gospel, I don't mean you tell your friend, well, Betty, if you didn't know that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 and 38, they asked the great question, what shall we do? And the apostle Peter, he replied by saying, repent and be baptized. Every, and did you know that everyone was then unified, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, and they were in fellowship and breaking breads, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. You know, we could go on all day giving verses. In a, that's not what you have to do. What you have to do is just ask the question, do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Why have you chosen that church? Let me tell you why I go where I go. And then you start. You don't have to know book, chapter, verse. You've got to know the death, burial, resurrection. Was it not Paul the apostle who said, somewhere, sometime in this book, doesn't it say? Because you, even when the, the New Testament text was written, don't, I want to tell you this so you're not intimidated. Even when the New Testament book was written, the, 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 the Bible, there was no book, chapter, and verse. It was a continual text. And they would say, did not Paul write and say, uh, unless this person, this person... And they would say, where is that? Well, let's open the book and let's look. You see, we've been taught, and I was taught for a long time growing up, you better know your book, chapter, verse, book, chapter, verse, book, chapter, verse. I've converted a lot of people, but the majority of people that I've converted just told them the story, told them the truth, told them what church they were going to be in and asked them if they wanted to be in Christ. The answer is yes. And then we study. That's kind of how it goes. Of course, you have to be ready in case somebody does want all that, but it's very rare, very rare. So don't be intimidated. Just tell them about where you go to church and why. 
So Luke chapter 4 and verse 3, Jesus preached the gospel. He preached the kingdom of the gospel. In some translations, I really like this. It says, um, I must go preach the good news of the kingdom of the gospel. You'll find it here in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Listen to what Jesus is saying, okay? The Christian world around us is telling us, oh, it's the good news. Believe the good news. And they, they stop there. They stop there. It's the good news, what? Of Jesus. Of what? And they stop. The original text says that Jesus was preaching the good news, the euangelion, right? The gospel of, look at that word in those translations. It's not on this one, but it's in every other one. Of. Of. What is of? Of is about to designate a place. So it's the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of the church of the Lord Jesus. So you can't just preach the gospel. Oh, it's, you know, in sense of believe Jesus, it's the death, burial, and resurrection, that's it. No. Preaching the gospel is also teaching about the church. And we're going to finish quickly. I know I'm about to be out of time. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written... I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus, that is God, will also raise us up with Jesus. He's going to raise all those up who are living faithful, who are doing the job, who are living in the grace of Jesus Christ and striving to be a Christian. So he's going to lift us up with the Lord Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are of your, or for your sakes. That grace, that's what you have with the, the gospel, having spread through the many. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what people get. They get grace when they obey the gospel. It's spread through many that it may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And so we think about that as we conclude. We need to protect the treasure in unity. We need to protect the treasure. Now, I know some crazy parents in the Church of Christ will have their children and say, oh, that, should, that child matches up with that child, so we'll start talking to parents. Hey, when they get older, we need to put them in the same camp, and maybe they'll hit it off, and they try to set their kids up with marriage partners at a young age. If you didn't know it, your parents were talking to other people by the time you were 10. It's just natural because they want the best for you. But I want you to think about something different with your children and with your family members. You need to tell your children, the Lord needs you to be a Christian because he needs soldiers. He needs people to speak and hold up the truth, to toe the line, to keep the pattern, and to stay walking the walk and talking the talk and teach everybody. That's what they need to know first. That's what we need to be worried about first that when you're about to die you don't have to worry that your child is not going to make it because they would have already been taught how to go with unity in 1 Corinthians 1.10 and also Jude 3 beloved while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation I found it necessary to write to you exhorting to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints who has it? Who has the faith? It was delivered to the saints. 
It was delivered to the earthen vessels. We need to collectively, as the church, put our minds together and start preaching the truth of the gospel to everyone around us at every given moment. Because at the end of the day, that's your number one priority as a Christian. If you're doing that in your life, your children are going to be great Christians because they're going to see their parents walking the walk. If you're doing that kind of thing, being faithful, doing that, your children are going to see and we're going to thrive as a congregation. And finally, as we close, I'm going to tell you this as an importance. You need to tell your own sisters, your adult brothers, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your own children, when they ask you, why do you go to church? Why are you that faithful? Why do you always go to church? Why are you... When they ask those questions, the last thing you should answer is because that's what we do. And that's what we get often. But I would have you remember the words of Moses. When your children ask you why we worship God, because we were once slaves in Egypt. We were once in bondage and God brought us out. We need to be telling our children the reason we worship God, you can tell your family, tell everybody, the reason I'm there and I'm so faithful because I was once in bondage of sin. Now he's brought me out. So I'm faithful. He takes care of me. And now I'm telling this to you because it's our responsibility, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, to pass the treasure on. Thank you so much for your attention.